Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Recovery's mission, our, our organization is, you know, to 
to raise awareness and the stigma and provide hope and resources around the disease of addiction. And uh, we do that through our volunteerism. We do it at a local level, and we speak openly about the disease of addiction. So that is our that is what we primarily do. And um, you know, my goodness, I was just thinking on uh, like for me to achieve my highest potential, which is part of um, the uh, reason that you know. Um, Hercules started this program to, to, to reach our highest potential. I have to, A, for me, because I'm, um, you know, someone that has a disease of addiction, I have to stay sober and clean off substances that are mind-altering um, every day. And uh, so I can at least, that, that is a primary purpose primary thing for me to do. And then secondly, I have to get to the root causes of what made me um, initiate that, that pathway to begin with. What about you, Kathy? You know, Nancy, it's so funny. I'm listening to you say that and I'm thinking first, first I'm thinking, wow, my higher self and what a journey this has been and how it hasn't really happened yet. (laughs) But, um, I wouldn't oh, yes, be any, well, not my higher self, but I can definitely say that the, uh, the I, I would have nothing without sobriety, nothing without recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the fact that I, I don't have to really process any more than that um, for me as a, mm-hmm. a recovering alcoholic and, and an addict. And, um, you know, I was listening to you say that and I'm thinking, wow, what a gift this program's been because, it's giving me the ability to look at the root causes. It's giving me the ability to address some of these root causes. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I wasn't sober, I wouldn't be acknowledging any of them. I would be, um, I would abuse, I would abuse substances to not feel those feelings, to not identify with the root cause. Um, so, yeah, I think that, um, I think that, I think root cause is a big topic. It's very wide. It's very broad. Um, I think it's very uh, personal, you know. It sure is. Well, yeah. Okay, so root cause. Uh, let's let's just kind of dig into that for a bit. Because, mm-hmm. you know, part of what we do in alumni and recovery is young people like Shayla, who will be speaking in a while, um, go into schools to talk to kids in schools about where they were at when they were that age, like root causes of what happened to them that made them want to, be, you know, that, that started that they were feeling that, that mm-hmm. you know, that was part of that process. And we actually talk about root causes, you know, in, in that way. So, so for me, for example, I have become aware of some root causes, which will always be with me. They're in my roots. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's not like yeah. they're going away. Mm-hmm. Totally. Because right. they're, they're always going to be part of some type of cellular memory within me. They just are. Yeah. It's just, part, you mm-hmm. know, so how do, you know, but, but, I had to allow myself to be aware and begin to process, you know, on, on, a, on a mental level, you know, uh, these, these, these factors. So I can mm-hmm. at least put them into the light so they don't have to take control of me, which 
and, and you know, and, and I certainly don't use substances around them anymore. So part of getting sober is you can remove the alcohol and the drug, but then you're left with the, the, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the things that, that um, you, you wanted to use alcohol and drugs to begin with. I mean, it's, right. it's it, you know, I, and, and I will back up into some of the, you know, because alcoholism and drug addiction certainly can be genetic, certainly can be something that, you know, is like an allergic reaction. There's no doubt about that. You know, mm-hmm. it also could be very learned behavior, you know, right. but at the same time, Many of us have, and especially this day and age, the anxieties and the the, the depressed feelings and the, the overwhelmed feelings. Where do they come from? What do we do with them? Do we just shove them down and and then and focus on more entertainment value um, issues, or do you know? Mm-hmm. But and the thing is, with me, it wasn't about focusing on entertainment value issues. When I was a child, you know, um, you know, we lived. We moved from Pennsylvania to Arizona, and I was just little, you know, but then my mother and my father got divorced. But my mother and father both had their alcohol issues, you know, and then my father moved out right. of the house, and my mother had terrible alcohol issues. And um, she, she, you know, there was a lot of fighting. You know, there was a, she, mm-hmm. there was a lot of fighting in our house, and, there, and some of it was kind of violent fighting. And this is something that I was exposed to. Um, right. You know, there's there's other little pieces to it, but that you know, those kind of things, you know, are never I could never process. You know, I had nobody to talk to about these things. You know, nobody wanted to talk about what was going on with you know right. my my aunt that had schizophrenia and what was going on with her. You know, we just kind of just had to just kind of like, oh yeah, she is who she is. You know, I mean, yeah. different mm-hmm. things that mm-hmm. nobody talked about, and I right. think that. You know, this day and age, people talk a little more, but no. I know that so many people, you know, want to go shopping, want to have parties, want to have, you know, uh, nothing's wrong with that. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. it's like we we tend Mm -hmm. to focus too much on, you know, distraction, 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 and, you know, Mm -hmm. do more. And and this is affecting our kids. What do you think, Kathy? Mm -hmm. Well, I I can say that – you know, I think it was a generational thing as well. Like, I think that I, I, when you were talking, what came into my head was people, my mother saying, you know, children should be seen and not heard. And um, I think that might have been where it all stemmed from as far as sharing. Um, I don't think we were allowed as young people to have voices. You know, we were just supposed to do what we were told. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. I think um, – I think that's where it started, at least for me. I can only speak for myself. And, and I, don't, I don't think that, you know, I don't think there were coping mechanisms because of, I think, of course, we're generational people of uh, disease in my family. I don't think that because I came from somewhere so unhealthy, there was no uh, reckoning with, um, with processing or thoughts or feelings. You know, who the hell knew what a feeling was? You know what I mean? Nobody. Right. I mean, we right. were all just kind of. We were all just kind of trying to figure out how to survive, really. Um, and if you shared a feeling, you know, you were told you didn't feel it. You know, at that, you're like, what are you talking about? You don't, don't cry. You're not sad. Don't laugh. You're not happy. You know, it was kind of weird, but that was really what happened to me. <laughs> Yeah, and you better you bet yeah, and with me it was right? like you better act better or you're gonna get a you know you're gonna get a licking. You know, and, right, and that was right. like what was in my household. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So what do you know? You know, you just you're just muddling through. You know. <laughs> I don't know. So I think that no, um, no, no. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So that that's my that's my take on that. I think that. You know, um, I, and I do think I will say agree 100% with you on the generation of today. There's a lot of anxieties going on. And I don't know if the world has changed that much. I really believe it's Internet-based. Like, we didn't have those distractions. Mm-hmm. And we weren't at, at the mercy of somebody um, ridiculing us like that publicly. You know, we might have been, like, I was the fat kid. So people would see, um, mm-hmm. one time I forgot to take the little tag off of my Levi jeans. And somebody went around the whole class the size of my waist, and I went home crying like a baby. But you mm-hmm. know what? It wasn't all over the World Wide Web saying how fat I was. It was a handful mm-hmm. of human kids. You know what I mean? So yep. it, it was a different it was a different thing. I think it, I I don't even know you know the generation of today how they how they get through. If you know what I mean. Well, you know what I'm saying? Well, that's a good example. And I, too, was ridiculed. You know, I was, I I just was. I was ridiculed. uh, Like, I remember fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. You know, I just, there was a lot of that going on. And, Mm -hmm. and, And it wasn't all over you know, social media, but on top of that, as far as social media goes, has the world really changed? Well, just for example, like I remember, you know, I was born in 1962, October of 1962. And what did my mother want to like through as I was growing up? She was, Oh, I'll never forget, you know, when you were a little baby in your crib and, you know, president Kennedy got shot and it was just, and, and she had this memory of that. Right. And what I yeah. think now is that we're so bombarded with so many um, uh, assaults and, uh, you know, um, terrible situations going on all over the place because we can broadcast it so readily now that mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. day there's like another terrible, tragic, you know, terrible thing to focus on. And it's just so much fear-based um, stuff. Yeah. That, that young mm-hmm. people are exposed to, and they all have devices and smartphones, and they all have to look at things like, um, you know, half-naked people, um, you know, people doing inappropriate things with each other that we weren't, do- you know, we weren't exposed to it, you know, when we right. remember we, right. that we, it was like an R-rated movie, ooh, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and now it's like so right in your face. So who's mm-hmm. talking about that? You know, it's just so, it's like, it's like a buffet for them. And yeah. it's got to be so overwhelming to their senses to not process that. Yeah. That's probably a lot of it too. Because I was, I was talking to a neighbor of mine and she was telling me the story about how, you know, her son with the COVID and, and, and it was a funny story because it was just like, you know, she says, I'm cooking a meal and I'm making the dinner and I put it on the table and, but one reason or another, her one son says, you know, I'll, I'll get my own. And she said, you know, I just cooked a meal. I just touched it. So if you're you know, worried about COVID, I just did that. And we were just talking about how this younger generation has so much anxiety. I also think there's a lot more demands put on the younger people today. Mm-hmm. I remember lollygagging through life. You know, I was like, yippity-doo-dah, <laughs> whatever, getting stoned, doing my thing. Nobody required mm-hmm. anything from me, and I didn't give much. So, and and that was, you know, just the way it went. And today I feel like these young people have so much pressure, you know, and these blue yeah. ribbon schools, and you better carry this school and not bring it down and, you know, so much mm. 
that um, mm-hmm. that even from that standpoint, you know, of education, it, it starts, you know. So and the yeah, stresses I, I, of sports mm-hmm. and performance. Yeah. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Very good. Oh my point. God! Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. And right. you know that leads me. We had that. Right. So. All right, so fast forward. I'm a sober woman now, you know, and I remember in, let's see, I remember in early sobriety, you know, uh, um, you know, I, I still dealt with a lot of anxieties and all, you know, and uh, a lot of anxieties. And it's because, you know, there's this like process within 12-step recovery called the fourth step. And mm-hmm. it's really about taking a good, solid look and, in, you know, an inventory of your life of what caused these feelings, you know, mm-hmm. and they always focus it around resentment. It's, you know, it's really kind of like, you know, the easiest one to pinpoint because there's a lot of anger associated with that, you know, and it's usually something's really embedded <laughs> resentment, mm-hmm. you know, why, you know, what's going mm-hmm. on? Why are you upset about this? You know, so, mm-hmm. so, and it allowed me to, you know, like you, because we're talking to each other about, you know, we, we, you know, I got to clean house. I got to, you mm-hmm. know, um, expel some of those, um, de- you know, just kind of like demystify this powerful feeling like, oh, that person hurt me, you know, and mm-hmm. truthfully, mm-hmm. that person did hurt me. I'm not saying that they didn't, but you know, but it doesn't have to have that much power over me anymore. It just allowed me right. to really go through that feeling. And, and you know, we do that in therapy. I mean, yes, therapy right. is a sure. wonderful thing. But therapy doesn't always promote sobriety. You know, I'm talking right. specifically about someone like myself who, you know, is sober going to therapy, you know. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. um, and, and so, and then, then the other piece is, is that, unfortunately, there's so many physicians out there that still prescribe a lot of anti-anxiety medications like benzodiazepines that people get Mm -hmm. extremely addicted to whether they wanted to or not you know they become dependent physically and they can't get off it and then they Mm -hmm. they have to take more because they they build up a tolerance to the level that they already had on that dosage and it's the same kind of thing so there's many levels now of self-medicating for root causes that we have yeah. to take away the alcohol and drugs just to get to, again, right. allowing someone mm-hmm. to have a feeling and go through it sober. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that, but I will say, like, I think that um, the root cause or, uh, you know, these experiences in life that maybe have brought us to a place of getting wasted and high and all that, um, sometimes there's, you know, in early sobriety, it's just, I'm only using an example of my niece, um, who's uh, early in sobriety, you know, we met for dinner last week and, you know, we were just talking about it. And she said, you know, Aunt Katz, she said, I don't think I can touch a lot of the topics just yet um, because it might bring, bring her right back into the streets. Because mm-hmm. uh, some of her trauma and her past and her things are very much, uh, they're really heavy. They're, it's heavy stuff. And, you know, she needs that firm foundation first to start. And I guess it's like you said, with the fourth step, that's why there's one, two, and three, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it's important that, um, you know, you know your time. And you know what? And that brings us right to a place of it's important that you have a sponsor and you have somebody that has sobriety uh, to bring you to that different place and to know when it's the time, you know, to do it. You know what I mean? 
Right. And um, I, yeah, I think that's like super important. Um, and I think that I don't, you know, uh, you know, I have to tell you, I mean, I I didn't look at a lot of my stuff for a really long time. I did those surface ones, and when you were talking about like when the ones the resentments, I my favorite word is perception. That's my favorite word in the uh, in the English language, and I really think that it doesn't matter you know, what I might say happened to me or how I feel about it. It's still legit for me. So um, those are the things that I have to look at. Like, because I think I walked around just doing those like, um, oh, yeah, well, I hurt them or they hurt me. And I kind of like sugarcoated it, made it a little light. But when you really do the digging a little bit down the road, when you're in sobriety a little longer, um, you're allowed to validate, you know. And those were the good parts of knowing that these traumas, whatever they may be, um, and these, um, these root causes, they, they're mine and I can own them and I can walk with them and I don't have to really, um, just, you know, like a four step to four step, but you know how you say it in the program, it's like, you just always are doing a fourth step. You keep doing it. That's really important. I think in life, it becomes like a tool that I get through life with, <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, it's really cool. And then you said something about, you know, and the sponsor. And the sponsor is like a person that can, like, you know, that's that's already been through steps, you know, Mm -hmm. and that somebody that can show us the way, you know, show us that we can trust and talk to a little more in depth than somebody else. Right. You know, And, and, and so, and it's all free. It's all free. It's wonderful that way. It's all just giving. So. You know, so so here's where we at, and so here we are. We, we, you know, it's so wonderful we get to do these podcasts. And what's really cool is that we can uh, introduce uh, someone that can like share their story, which is really powerful and allows people to actually identify, you know, with right. little aspects of it. You know, because we all we all identify on 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 the heart level at some point. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think, Cass? Do we introduce Shayla? Oh my God! Absolutely, <laughs> bring her on! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> hey hey guys, the girl. How's everyone doing? Awesome. Good. How I know you, you guys said so. I'm good. I'm good. I'm. I'm just sitting here and I'm. I'm listening to you guys and you said like so much like. Good stuff. I'm like taking notes over here. I like got up. You probably heard me rummaging around, like looking for stuff. I'm like taking notes. I like whipped out my step working guide. I'm like, what's even in there? Like, where is my step working guide? What's going on? Um, so you just said, yeah, you like all said so, you know, so much good stuff about um, like trauma and, and generational stuff and, and the gaps and the differences. And, um, you know, we all experienced a lot of stuff, but due to the changes in times, like we experienced them kind of differently. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell my story. I'll get into it. Um, now I'm not going to like talk forever because like when I'm done, I just feel like there's still so much to talk about. Um, so I am 28 and a half years old. I feel like the half matters because I'll be 29 in March. And like, that's the last year of my twenties. And I'm like, Oh my God. But I'm still, like, super young, so it's fine. People like to remind me of that. Um, so I'm 28 and a half. I grew up in uh, Bergen County in, in a small little town called Saddlebrook. 
Um, and I grew up in a house where my dad suffers from the disease of addiction. So, um, you know, tip it like growing up, growing up for like a little while, things were pretty normal. Like my parents were like calm and okay. And I didn't really see many fights or arguments. And we grew up on the house was like on the street where, um, like at the top of the block was the fire station. And then there was a baseball field. And then there was my elementary school. And then there was like a super huge soccer field. And I grew up right across the street. So like all the kids were like hanging out in the area and they always like would come to my house. Um, we had a trampoline, we had a basketball hoop, we had a pool, we had a huge deck. There was a dog, there was me and my sister and a million kids. And we were all just having a great time all the time honestly, um, until, you know, my, I don't really know if there was like a general progression. I do remember my parents fighting a lot about money and my dad, like not so much really being into, you know, he had a lot of work injuries. So like working wasn't super easy for him anymore. And he had been like in and out of recovery, um, since before I was born and like after I was born. So I think by the time I was like seven or eight at that point, he had put together like a lot of time, um, like probably the whole time I was less like eight years or so, but he started using, um, and to talk about traumatic events, like when you have a dad who's like there and available and, you know, bringing you and your friends to the movies and here and there, well, not when I was seven, but like, he was very, he was a very active dad. He was like, Mr. Mom, like my mom worked a lot and my dad, you know, she worked during the day. My dad worked at night. So my dad was really the one that was around for me and my sister because my mom was at work um and then you you go from that that like major you know participation like in in my life and then suddenly like you know I remember the day he started getting high still it was the day of like my big like first traveling team soccer game and I remember my mom was like getting up and getting ready on a Saturday morning at like eight o'clock in the morning to take me to my game and like my dad was passed out on the couch and I'm like what the fuck is going on? Oh, I don't know if I can curse. I probably can't, so I'm not going to curse. I'm like, what is going on? I was so confused. And that's pretty traumatic. I'm like, what is going on? Um, and I remember, it's one of those things I remember, and it was just so confusing. I didn't understand what I was, seven, like, I didn't understand what was happening. Um, and, you know, I don't remember. I tell people a lot. I don't remember anything in my life until, like, that time period. I don't remember being one, two, three, four, five, six kind of start remembering things when I'm seven or eight and then there's a whole bunch of stuff I don't remember for another couple of years um so I don't remember if he ended up getting clean or not I think maybe he did um but by the time I was like 12 or 13 I think he might have been using again it was just happening on and off so like frequently I don't remember but by the time I was 13 I had all that stuff going on um you know, I tried to be good. I tried to pay attention in school. I tried to like do my schoolwork and be good at it and do the right thing and like get involved and, and play sports. So when I was 13, um, me and my friends, um, like I was really quiet and shy and I was not super outgoing. Like I was not the one to like initiate a conversation with somebody or even talk to anybody when they would like speak to me. I'd be like, hi. And then I kind of just like walk away. Um, so when I was 13, like one of my friends, like she was like that. She was friendly with everybody and she was super outgoing and stuff. And, um, you know, some of the girls in high school asked her like, you know, Oh, so we won like the semifinals, um, 
we were the three captains of my soccer team and, and they're like, Oh, you know, like let's celebrate or whatever. And she asked me if I wanted to go and I was like, okay. Like I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know it entailed drinking, but it did. And I was like kind of curious. I'm like, okay. So I went and I drank for the first time I was 13. Um, and I, I guess like, like immediate positive result then kind of, um, I remember drinking and I felt, um, like a little less awkward and a little less shy and a little less quiet. I was more outgoing. I was able to initiate a conversation and I sort of just like, you know, kind of remembered all that, like socially, like what it could do for me. Um, and we were 13 and, and we took pictures of us drinking for whatever reason. I still have the picture somewhere too. And I look miserable in all of them. Um, so I, um, that was it. Like I, I got drunk, um, and not like I had a beer or two, like I got drunk the first time I was drinking. And I do remember feeling like I was, you know, was drinking and like wanted more and then wanted some more. Um, and then I think that was like a, like a weekend. So it was like a Friday or a Saturday. And then like, you know, we had soccer practice again on like Tuesday and remember like we took pictures of us drinking and we posted them on MySpace. And I didn't realize at the time that, my soccer coaches were like friends with all of us on MySpace, and like they saw the pictures of us drinking, and I didn't realize. So like I went to practice, and then they pulled you know the three of us over to the side, and I thought it was just like, and they were kind of like you know we saw the pictures of you guys drinking, and you're 13, and you're not going to be drinking. You're 13 years old. That's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And I felt bad. I did. I had like some guilt about it. And I don't know if it's guilt that I act, guilt over the fact that I did it or guilt that I got caught. It's probably more guilt that I got caught because I wasn't regretful about doing it. Um, and, and, and it was what it was. And then, but like the theme continued and I talk about this a lot and, and, and progression when it comes to the disease of addiction is that when I was 13, like I was drinking a little bit with my friends. Um, and getting in trouble with my soccer coaches, like fast forward to the time I'm 19, I'm sniffing a crushed up Percocet off of a book in my car on my break and I'm getting arrested. That's just how it goes um, in terms of everything, in terms of what kind of substance, in terms of how much is said substance and in terms of the consequence for the action, it just keeps escalating. Um, you know, and I, I tried it, you know, I didn't try it all. I wasn't super experimental, but like I, it was first, it was drinking and then, um, then it was smoking pot and like, I didn't really like smoking pot, but like, you know, people like around me did, like I was a freshman in high school my boyfriend was like a junior and his friend smoked and he smoked. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll smoke. Um, and like, same thing. Um, sophomore I'm date sophomore 16 years old this is also the kind of thing that's changed like you can't you could I think I was like the last wave of of age and person that could do this sort of thing like you guys did it regularly but I was 16 and my my boyfriend was 21 you can't do that anymore (laughs) but we taught me my friends joke about this all the time uh you really can't do that anymore I think I was like the last of a dying breed like you could have kind of gotten away with it because like our parents did like my parents had the same age gap and started dating at the same time so that was my that was my um that was my I guess, answer for them when they said they didn't like it. I was like, well, you guys are the same age with the same age difference. So, um, you know, and he smoked pot and like he drank a lot. So if I, you know, wanted alcohol, like he would buy it for me or like I would smoke with him or whatever. 
Um, and then I tried Coke for a little while, but as you can see, I'm talking fast because <laughs> that's just the speed I operate at. So Coke wasn't really for me. Um, and then by the time I was like a junior, I had a knee surgery done. Um, and you know, same thing. I had broken up with said boyfriend or he broke up with me actually. Um, mainly cause I was 16 and he was 21. Um, I had a knee surgery done and they gave me painkillers. And I remember being like really upset about the breakup. And we talked about trauma. Like they, people don't think, but like breakups can be traumatic. Like for me and my experience, like I've had some very traumatic breakups. Um, so we can't like undermine traumatic things. Like I know we frequently think like, you know, assaults of any kind and um, rape and, and any kind of like physical attack and injury and stuff like that. Like those are the only things that qualify as trauma. Like those are major traumas, but there are like smaller micro traumas that can, you know, affect somebody pretty deeply. Um, you know, so I, I did my thing and, I remember like looking at the painkillers and I'm like, Oh, I wonder if these will kill my emotional pain too. And I like drank on them and it was just a whole mess. And I was like really upset. And I like went out one of those nights and I was like drinking on them. And I was like, I want to kill myself. And I did tell people I was like in an attempt to commit suicide. And like, they were like, okay, we're going to come get you now. Um, but I just, I was just, you know, it was so much at one time. I was so young and it was like a lot to process. Um, you know, and then by the time I was a senior, I didn't really care about school. My dad, I think was in treatment most of my junior and senior year and a lot of my sophomore year. Um, so by the time I was a senior, like I didn't really care about like the future or what I wanted to do or if I wanted to go to college. I never put any thought to like my future. And like, I saw, I saw this thing last night and it was like, you know, if you, were in like a survival mode if you grew up like that and you spent most of your like formative years in survival mode and you know a lot of your peers were thriving because they didn't have to be in survival mode like don't worry about like where you're at in your life like you're still catching up so that's kind of how it was for me I wasn't looking to like I wasn't in a position really to like thrive and think about my future I was just trying to I was trying to survive my life (laughs) on a daily basis that's all my little like not fully developed brain could handle um you know so by the time I was a a senior school I was like not having it at all I was super defiant I was in trouble a lot I was like you know it didn't matter who was saying what to me there were times where like I was like in class or like so they used to have this rule when I was in high school like we weren't allowed to have our cell phones we weren't allowed to have iPods and like for me like music was (laughs) was the only thing that kept me calm and kept my mouth shut so I would you know just walk around with my headphones in from class to class or do whatever when I wasn't in class and listening to music and like reading a book or something and I'd have like the assist like the vice principal like look at me and be like you can't do that give me your iPod and I would like go off the handle but like in my head it was like completely justified it's like listen So I had behavioral issues, to say the least. Um, I got out of high school, and um, I went to college, and I really wasn't super interested. Um, And by the time I was getting out of high school, I was drinking. I I didn't run spring track, and that's something that I had. I run track since I was, like, in middle school or younger, and I played soccer, and that's that's what I did to try to keep myself out of trouble. And by the time my senior year came around, I just quit spring track. I didn't want to run anymore. 
Um, I just wanted to like work and self-destruct and drink and smoke cigarettes and smoke pot and, you know, do what I did. Um, but when I had that root canal done my senior year, they gave me a prescription for Vicodin and it was like, in my head, it seemed so great because I had like a prescription for a while. And then I got another one that they gave me and then I ran out and then I was buying them on the street, but I wasn't using them daily yet. Um, it wasn't until I got out of high school after like my first semester in college, which I don't even know if I successfully completed, um, that I was using Percocets every day. Um, and I wasn't just like popping them anymore, like crushing them up and snorting them. And then, and that was really all that I did for like two years. And I remember there was like a point during those two years, like in the middle somewhere. And I was like, this is just like the two years that I'm taking out, like to do drugs, (laughs) I know it sounds ridiculous, but I'm like, that's it. Like, I'll get it out of my system after two years, and then, like, I'll just voluntarily stop and, like, move on with my life. Um, I mean, I didn't voluntarily stop, but it's kind of what happened. I did really use pretty heavily for, like, two years straight. Um, and by, by the, so the beginning, like I said, it was, like, one 10-minute to speak to progression again. It was, like, one 10-milligram Percocet a day, like fast forward like a year and a half almost two years later I was doing like I don't even really know I use like I throw out a number usually but I don't really know how many I was using but like 10 to 15 30 milligram oxys a day um and like that just speaks to progression and the fact that like you know I was developing a physical physical like a tolerance and a dependence and like what it what was enough in the beginning wasn't enough at that point anymore and um you know, I thought it was a lot of different things. I'm like, you know, um, I was in a relationship with somebody who sold drugs and I'm like, you know, and that's where I got all my drugs from and that's who I used with. And I'm like, well, you know, if I like get out of the relationship, like I won't be addicted to drugs anymore and life will be great. So like I ended the relationship thinking that that was the problem. Um, I mean, it wasn't helping, but it wasn't the problem. Like I was the problem. Um, so I stopped using opiates that was the first time that like I withdrew from from them and uh it was a long process and it was extremely difficult and it like I had like post-acute withdrawal symptoms for like months and just like cold sweats and the whole thing but I was still drinking and I was still smoking pot and I was like absolutely miserable and my life was completely unmanageable and like I worked enough to like support my habit but that's really you know all I did, even though it was just like drinking and, and smoking pot. And eventually it was only a couple of months later. Um, and I really didn't have any friends. I had one person that I hung out with pretty regularly, but she was not, she was just as bad as I was. And we weren't really solid friends. You know, we were, there was nothing there really, but like getting high together. Um, you know, so eventually at some point, I think she like went away. She was like, she's like, let me visit her boy, her boyfriend who's, like was in the army in like Alabama or something like that. So she was gone for a while and I was like completely miserable by myself, just getting high alone. Um, And eventually it didn't take much, but there was just like this one day I was like super miserable, super extra miserable for whatever reason. And um, I was like, you know, I just want to like do an oxy, just like one, you know, because it's been a while and I haven't been using them constantly all the time. So if I do one or two, it's fine. It's just like once in a while. And, and I did. And, and then I, you know, tried to not for a couple of days and then I did again. And it did not take very long for me to 
you know, um, find people who could give me what I was looking for. And it was not long until, you know, I found some like local, I want to call them friends, but they really weren't. They were just people that I went to high school with that, you know, had, had oxys and stuff and, and they were selling them to me. And then it didn't take too long for, one of them, one of them to be like no but you know I have something else I don't I don't have any but I can give you something else and I was like okay I was open to whatever as long as it you know made me feel the way I wanted to feel um he's like you know I don't even know if he told me really what it was I think he did but it, I think at that point I already made the decision to use whatever he was offering me um and he's like you know it's heroin and I was like okay so that's you know I started using heroin for and it was cheaper and he had it you know, readily available all the time. So I started using it and it was like five months um, of me using heroin and being by myself and um, doing nothing else. And I was working and then eventually I just got like really reckless about it. Like I ran out of money and I ran out of options and I really ran out of hope and like a will to live. Um, And I just had like drugs like all over my room or whatever. My sister came in my room and like she like looked at all of it and she's like, what is this? And I was, I just had no explanation and I was so tired and I wasn't even trying to defend my use anymore. I was almost like in a certain like unusual way, kind of relieved that like, I was like, Oh, okay. Like maybe this is the end. Um, and like I told her and I was like, uh, I just, I don't know. I think I have like a, a problem. And she like didn't flip out and she was like, okay, like I, you, I know where you can go to get help and I was like okay like tomorrow and like that's like a constant like theme that I find with like drug addicts and alcoholics is like we're so on board for getting clean and being in recovery and changing our lives like tomorrow <laughs> not now it sounds like a really good idea right now but like mm, tomorrow um you know I woke up the next day and I was like oh god like what did I get like what did I what did I like agree to and like I went there and I did an intake and like I had to be clean um to start IOP and like I wasn't and it was like this whole situation where they were basically like leave and get be clean for a little while and then you can come back and I'm like okay so I tried I think I was clean I don't even really know I just told them I was on Suboxone because I was um and it was only like three or four days and I didn't really buy that much Suboxone and and um eventually I started using it again I was in an IOP um, I ran out of Suboxone only after a couple of days and I started using, I'm like, well, you know, it's been a week and that means I'm not a drug addict because I haven't used drugs in a week. So I'm going to treat myself with drugs. Um, so I did and I got high and it was probably the first time like I was consciously aware of the fact that I had tried to stop using drugs, knew I had to stop using drugs, wanted to stop using drugs and ultimately couldn't. Um, so I showed up at IOP high every day for however long I was still there. Um, and like my counselor was like, okay, like you have been high every time you've been here for like days now and you just need like a higher level of care. So you should go inpatient. So like I did, I called like an inpatient center, um, treatment center. I set up the intake and like I went, um, and like, I just remember like leaving work, almost missing my intake cause I had to get high. Um, and then, you know, sitting in the in- intake office, she's like getting all the information she needs about like me and my life and how much I use and blah, blah, blah. And like the last question she asked me before, like the intake was over, she's like, well, what do you want to do about your problem with drugs? And I just told her like, I don't know. I just don't want to feel like this anymore. 
Um, and that was, that was it. That was, um, December 19th. Well, the day I got there was December 18th, but when I woke up on December 19th, 2012, um, in a treatment center, um, I have stayed clean ever since I was in, I was there for 28 days. And then I went to another treatment center for another 38 days. Um, then I went home and I did everything that they suggested Cause I was just so willing, like I was so like willing to not just be miserable and traumatized and sad and isolated and alone. Like treatment really like opened my eyes to like the fact that like I have a brain disease and a lot of things happened in my life that made me use drugs in the first place. And we can get to the bottom of why, and you can be super happy one day and so on and so forth. So I went for it. Like they sold me a dream and luckily this dream came to fruition. Um, and like, that's been it for me. Like I've gone to meetings. I've, uh, you know, I got a sponsor. I did step work and I, I got involved. I like made new friends. I changed my whole life and, um, my life is just so different now. Um, I'm happy. I like never pictured myself being an adult who like paid their bills and had a place to live and had a car that was registered to herself. Like I just did not, I could not like conceive of how that would be possible and it is the little things like that for me that aren't, aren't super little things, but like, it's just stuff like that, that has just like made me feel like so happy to be like independent and on my own. And, and another thing too, and like, this is like the last thing like I'll say, cause like, I was like, Oh, I'm not even going to talk for that long. And I feel like I've been talking for like a small eternity. Um, all I really wanted was to feel like fulfilled and happy and I wanted to like myself and just like like I was willing to settle with like myself like I love myself today I think I'm kind of incredible and like I can probably actually tone down on how great I feel about myself sometimes um that's it that's all I wanted it was small small things and anything else like I have gotten like the people used to say like you live a life beyond your wildest dreams I'm like okay well have some pretty wild dreams bro so like we'll see but I do, man. I've had, I have stories and things that have happened, and my life is just really full and really beautiful and really happy, and um, I work at it. It's not like it, it was just handed to me because I stayed clean, you know. Um, it still requires work and maintenance and things, and I do it, um, and I'm happy to, and um, that's it. I feel like, like that's my story, and um, if you guys have any questions or, you know, we can continue our conversation about no I loved listening to you thank you thank you and you know I everybody out there that's listening just know that that you know like people like Kathy and me and especially Shayla that's not that's not the the typical norm you know we're so blessed that we were able to stay on the path of recovery. And, and it's stories like this that know it's possible. You know, it's so possible. It's not, you know, it's like, like Shayla said, there's just so many, um, you know, a terrible place to feel like you, that you want to kill yourself and you can't imagine even living, yeah. you know, living in your skin or living, uh-huh. you know, uh, free of substances, you still want to just, you know, no, I can't live that way. And I can't live the way that I am living. So where, you know, it's like purgatory. And, and, but at the same time, I just want to mention that, you know, you spoke about, you know, getting, you know, getting, having the knee, you know, having that, was it the knee surgery or knee injury? Yeah, it was knee surgery. 
yeah, knee surgery, and then you had your root canal, and how yes. doctors prescribe, you know, the Vicodin and the Percocet, and they still do that. And it's so important that people are aware that these are so addictive. And if you're predisposed to want to feel like, you know, I'm not comfortable in my skin, maybe this will make me feel better. It's really important to be aware of these, these medications that could really take you down. So yeah, I like super heavy-duty medications, too, especially as, like, a 16-year-old when my brain was still trying to figure out, like, which way to go. And then I find this thing which, like, seemingly solves all my problems. Um, it's just, like, a recipe for disaster, you know? No doubt. I have to tell you, I just want to say thank you for sharing. Shayla, I think it was great to listen to you. I want to say that a lot, a couple of points that really stuck out to me was when you were talking about trauma and how it doesn't have to be something so deep and heavy that there are certain ones that just, for certain people, that trigger them and hurt them. And, you know, thinking about you saying that about your dad and how I can't even imagine, I'm thinking like seven years old, right? And I'm thinking how, you know, you're so used to the way dad is and how things are going and then things take a turn for the worse. And of course that's traumatic. That's amazing that um, you can recognize that even, you know what I mean? Like as something and how it's not, how it's not maybe to somebody else, like some kind of, uh, you know, I don't like rape, like you said, or something different, but this was just, that was enough for you. And that was your story. You know what I mean? I think that's yeah. such an important thing to say. I'm like super, um, I, I love listening to you say that because it also brings me to the comment that you made about like, you know, when you're 16 and you're getting these medications, you know, Nancy and I were talking about it earlier. We, and listen, I don't know. Cause I, I, I could be, I, none of us, I think pick up a lot of substances in a healthy, older, uh, mature mind. I think we're all young people that aren't fully developed, that have no clue what we're doing, and we're just drowning ourselves in stuff that's going to keep us stunted and stuck. You know what I mean? Because it's usually those times, like, again, we talk about alumni and recovery and being that place that young people can listen to the stories of you, Shayla, and hear the stories and go, wow, I can identify with that without having to take the avenue that you took and not develop, you know, like go through that place with their minds. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, you know, when, when you go into the rooms and you, and you hear somebody say, Oh, well, I hope I get a couple of marbles back. Right. Because you, you don't know if you're going to come back. <laughs> I think yeah. there's a lot of truth to that. Right. Isn't there, there's yeah. a lot of truth to that. There's like, you know, it's like when you meet people and you know intuitively that somebody was using and you meet them and you go, oh, my God, they're acting like when they first picked up a drink. They're like 15 years old and they're probably like 25, right? Like, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? I don't even know if I'm like and going on like a tear about say, it. But. No, no, no. But there's also the saying that, you know, when you, when you stop using substances, it's like, right. oh, I'm really emotionally 13 years old because that's when right. I started started exactly mm-hmm. so um, oh yeah I used to go ahead go ahead Jay. no I was just gonna say like I, I, I remember feeling um like that like when I first got clean when I was like 20 um just feeling like mm-hmm. that 
emotional overload. And I was just talking to somebody who's like new in recovery. And, and he said, one of the things that he wants to learn is how to identify his emotions. And I, and I looked and I was like, for sure. Like, I will gladly give you a feelings chart because only like OG recovery people know what a feelings chart is because we all used to get them in IOP and like now they're emojis. I don't know if anyone put that together, but like emojis are basically just like a little feelings chart without the words. Um, but I told him, I was like, you know, so often it's hard for us to identify emotions, A, because we never have learned how to, and B, because sometimes like life and, and situations can, can be so confusing that it causes such a complex emotional reaction that you're not just feeling one feeling at, at a time. You could feel like mm-hmm. two or three or four or five different feelings. So I totally understand that. Um, and then being like 20 years old and not understanding that and just wanting to like run away or lash out or throw something on the floor, or like speed around in my yeah. car and like curse someone out because I can't figure out like what is going on inside of me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. On, that, on that point, I have to interrupt. I'm very sorry. This has been an awesome uh, show, uh, but we're running out of time and I'd like to give uh, everybody a chance to share their contact information. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. Um, I love the LCM project. This is awesome. So um, the if, if anybody out there that's listening would like some, you know, to, you know, speak to somebody uh, from our organization, we um, are an organization of, you know, young people in recovery. We're an organization of also parents that have lost their loved ones to addiction and know what it's like to live with people in active addiction um, or just need support are that way. Our um, website is www.alumniinrecovery.org. We have a Facebook page, which is alumni in recovery. And we also can be reached at info at alumni in recovery.org. Wow. Thank else? you. <laughs> Go ahead. I just uh, thank you, Shayla, and thank you, Kathy, and thank you, Hercules. And thank you all. This was awesome. Thank you all for opening up and sharing. Uh, this was a very uh, deep, insightful, and impactful uh, show. I'm, I'm, I'm awed. What can I say? <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. And I yeah, wish you all we'll do the best. And look forward to next time. Okay, great. All right, thank we'll you. Friday night at 7 thank o'clock. You, thank you. Okay, Good thank night. you. Bye-bye, everybody. And Bye-bye. 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 And thanks to everybody who joined us from home. Until next time, this is all of us wishing all of you uh, joyous journeys and amazing adventures. Uh, we're going to uh, close tonight with... Uh, Oh, I forgot. We're on CERN tonight, so I have a wider variety of music. And let's see if I can find something appropriate here. I had my uh, Mount Olympus song all picked out. How about The Odyssey by Becca Kelslow? Up ahead, after all this.
Get down. 